Hello once again, your wonky yet affable host Ryan Luis Rodriguez here for The Chronicles Reconsidered, where we look back at previous mystery science theater experiments or Rift Tracks commentaries exclusively for you lovely subscribers here on Patreon. And this week we're tackling possibly the greatest movie ever released on VOD by Rift Tracks, and by greatest, I mean without applying ironic detachment. It's 1979's the Visitor, a mashup of a bunch of popular movies you've probably seen, yet unlike anything you have ever seen. We'll get into that inherent contradiction momentarily. What happens when Italian schlockmeisters take the young possessed girl from the exorcist, cross her with the demon spawn from the omen, breed that unholy combination with Rosemary's baby, sprinkle in the spaceships from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, add killer birds from the birds, cast a stunning amount of stars from old Hollywood, and refract it all through the European art movie lens of Alejandro Jodorowsky's The Holy Mountain? Why, you have the visitor! which is all of those things at once, yet melded into something much more interesting and watchable than it not only deserves to be, but also should be. It's somehow more than the sum of its parts, and all it is, is literally the sum of parts. Before we get to the plot, which is bonkers, let me say that this is one of the most stunningly photographed films I have ever seen. Despite costing only $800,000, it looks better than practically every movie I listed moments ago, save for maybe Close Encounters. Although one of the scenes aping that film works miracles for one one-hundredth of the cost. The score is this funky-ass groove that sounds like an acid-tinged 70s cop show theme with a dash of also Spock Zarathustra. It's fucking crazy. And the cast of this movie is insane. Like the Italian Winter Kills. Listen to this. John Huston, Shelley Winters, Lance Henriksen, Franco Nero, Glenn Ford, Mel Ferrer, Sam fucking Peckinpah, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lindsay Lohan, Jessica Chastain, John Wilkes Booth, Marie Antoinette, Mary Magdalene, Okay, so it was all true until Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Sue me. I got overexcited and listed a bunch of people that I would also like to see in the movie. Okay. We open with the voice of Franco Nero as an unnamed and uncredited character, although his look has led me to conclude that he's blonde space Jesus. He's sitting calmly in a greenhouse with a bunch of bald kids that could be either his students 
or his children. I don't know. The movie's not interested in telling me. He informs his student kids of a cosmic battle between two metaphysical enemies, the evil Zatine and the totally chill Yahweh, who have been engaged in conflict for millennia. At some point, Zatine made its way to Earth and started bumping uglies with all the Earth women that he possibly could before Yahweh tracked him down and smoked his ass. Space Jesus sends his psychokinetic emissary, Jerzy Kalslosowicz, uh, sorry, I don't speak Polish, played by John Huston, who might be an angel or a starman or just a nice Polish gentleman, to Earth to find the possible reincarnation of Zatine on Earth, or one of his powerful descendants, or evil manifested as another organism. Don't know, don't care. He's informed that the person he needs to find is an eight-year-old girl named Katie Collins. Katie, like Jersey, has psychokinesis, but is only just starting to harness and understand her powers. Katie is both Damien, Reagan McNeil, and the little girl from The Bad Seed. Katie's mom, Barbara's boyfriend, Raymond, played by Lance Henriksen, is secretly working with a cabal of white men in a boardroom to bring about the resurgence of Zatine. They want Raymond to make a male baby with Barbara, who will then mate with Katie, his half-sister, and their baby will be the second coming of Zatine. Unless Katie already is. As all this shadowy stuff is happening, Katie is using her abilities to kill the Cabal's enemies, and it's unclear whether or not she knows what she's doing, or if she just likes killing people and they happen to be enemies of the Cabal. I'm gonna give up saying I don't know if, because I don't know if anything I've said is remotely true, including things explicitly stated. So if I say something happens, just understand that it's my comprehension of events, not necessarily what's actually going on. Glenn Ford plays a detective investigating these bizarre murders and encounters Katie, who tells him to go fuck himself. She's eight years old. She literally tells him to go fuck himself. It's pretty awesome. If Glenn Ford was still alive, I would do it too. Katie has a birthday party and opens one of her presents to discover a loaded handgun, which she is delighted to see, which is weird, and she casually tosses it in Barbara's direction. It hits a table and shoots her directly in the spine, paralyzing the poor woman and resigning her to a wheelchair. It's this movie's fucked up equivalent of Damien knocking his mom off the banister with his tricycle. Only more ridiculous. Oh, did I mention that Katie can control the will of a killer hawk too? Cause she can. Jersey tracks Katie down and poses as her new babysitter in order to get closer to her. And remember, John Huston is about 80 at this point. And his gambit works because people are stupid, leading to an actual scene in an actual movie where John Huston plays Pong with a demon spawn in pigtails and bitches about losing. I love this movie. The evil cabal of white men kills Detective Glenn Ford, Barbara is abducted by either aliens or cult members in football helmets, and inseminated Agent Scully style. Barbara approaches her former husband, Katie's dad, upon learning that she's pregnant, and he advises her to abort the child. Upon returning home, Barbara is attacked and beaten by Katie, and then garroted with piano wire by Raymond because this movie is deeply misogynistic and how it treats her as a perma-victim to be degraded and impregnated and beaten at every turn. So it's not perfect. Jersey arrives at the last minute and barely saves Barbara's life, unleashing a horde of killer birds 
one of whom stabs Raymond in the neck. Yes, a bird stabs him. And I'm sure, being made by Italian exploitation filmmakers, it was totally safe to have all these real birds, and many safeguards were in place. Sure. Katie escapes into a hall of mirrors, like Orson Welles' Lady from Shanghai, and uses her psychokinesis to shatter all the mirrors instead of shooting them, and Jersey somehow incapacitates Katie. Jersey returns to Space Jesus with a newly bald Katie, no longer evil, but still creepy. The end. Did you get any of that? that? Even a little bit? Nothing? Okay. I'm not saying this movie is for everyone, but it's for me. It's one of those nonsensical experiences that will drive half the audience absolutely mad. Interest but befuddle one quarter of the audience and make the last quarter fall deeply in love. I encourage all those listening to find it unrift and indulge. If you're listening to this show, you probably are in tune to a similar wavelength, and I trust that you'll be able to stop fighting and just surrender to its overpowering nature. Now, as batshit crazy as this film is, and it so defines that phrase that it might as well have been shot on film stock made of guano, it could have been much stranger. The Blu-ray has an interview with screenwriter Lou Camici, who was hired by the producers because they needed a writer who could speak both Italian and English, and, uh, well, that's, that's all they needed. And Lou was happy to oblige, although he probably instantly regretted throwing his hat into the ring. Without even factoring in the fact that the director believed that he was part of a conspiracy by the producers to get him fired. To hear Lou tell the tale, we're on a first-name basis, he was told that the producers wanted to rip off The Exorcist, and there was promptly pitched a story about space aliens and demon children. And I'm pretty sure that only one of those things is in The Exorcist. I'm speaking, of course, about space aliens. But I digress. Kamichi did not get along well with Giulio Paradiso, credited as Michael J. Paradise, because Italian filmmakers insist on pseudonyms and insist those pseudonyms not sound like a name anyone has ever had. Kamichi alleges, help says, Paradiso only had ideas for scenes and no skeletal structure or a narrative, and wanted a scene set in a skating rink to transition from Katie doing an ice dance to elephants walking around through the background, but described this in such an offhanded way as if ordering a salad for brunch. When Kamichi asked, but why? You're never gonna get them, it's too cost prohibitive, but it also doesn't make any goddamn sense. Why elephants? Paradiso responded, people like elephants, which, fair point, sir, touche. People do like elephants, like circus folk, and Republicans. In a more disturbing fashion, Paradiso also repeatedly requested multiple scenes of characters on the toilet, which Kamichi bristled at, rightly believing that American audiences would find it unpalatable and, well, repulsive. And Paradiso, ever the card, responded with, People take a shit every day. We should have it in there. And again, how can you argue with logic that ironclad? The man is an auteur! The assistant director on Fellini's Eight and a Half and the director of 1982's Spaghetti House is a force to be reckoned with. You do not question someone with vision. Have we not learned anything from Zack Snyder? The Visitor was basically killed in its stateside release, distributed by American International Pictures, so I can't even begin to imagine how brutally the film was edited from its original version. Even completely unmolested by short-sighted, cut-happy distributors, 
this movie does not hold the audience's hand for even a millisecond. And while I appreciate it as a cinephile now, in my mid-30s, the average AIP audience would never tolerate it in 1979, nor would any regular audience member. The film would need to withhold at least our pinkies, if not two or three fingers. But the problematic saints at Drafthouse Films resurrected the film for both theatrically and on Blu-ray in 2014, and God bless them for it. It's also had some influence on the filmmakers of today. If you have access to the movie, I want you to take a good hard look at the opening scene, which is also the episode artwork for this. It's set on some cosmic expanse covered in snow, the skies melting, amorphous orange blobs slowly bubbling on the left side of the frame, two figures in hooded cloaks engaging in a slow burn duel of withering glances. Now subtract the amorphous orange blobs, and you have the iconography of the climactic lightsaber duel on Crate in Ryan Johnson's masterful film, Star Wars Episode 46, The Last Jedi. Ryan is one of the most passionate cinema bros currently making movies, so it's entirely possible that he had seen the film exhibited at the New Beverly Cinemas in Los Angeles before Drafthouse resurrected The Visitor, or maybe watched it during pre-production, which is right around the time that this was re-released, and then fell in love. Or it's a complete coincidence, but I doubt that. And yes, I just called him Ryan. We fellow Ryans are on a first-name basis, in that we all have the same uh, first name. Sorry. It is on that note that we conclude this episode of The Chronicles Reconsidered. Thank you for keeping this little cottage industry alive through your patronage. Next week on the free podcast, we start diving into season 12 of MST3K. The gauntlet, baby! You can expect the following. Breakdancing in McDonald's, poorly rendered mech suits punching poorly rendered monsters, and acid trips under the sea. Under the sea. Of course, you already have access to next week's episode here on the Patreon feed, (laughs) but you knew that. (laughs) Next Friday, April 23rd, I'm discussing the sequel to Atlantic Rim, Atlantic Rim Resurrection, with my friend Carrie Lucen of the Daleks Aren't Robots podcast. I just realized that both her podcast and the movie feature robots, which I didn't bother to think of when I asked her to be on the show. (laughs) I'm accidentally brilliant. Who knew? Until then, take care, and thank you for being a subscriber. Dawn, that's the end.